Chapter 37. Barney's Marina. The GPS on my phone got me to Barney's Marina easily enough. The parking lot was getting full and cars were being parked on a sandy area near the water. A crowd of people had formed on the beach next to the marina. I parked my Jeep for the very last time next to a row of old lobster pots. I had 24 payments left on the vehicle, so I just decided to leave it there. The marina was a parking lot for the toys of middle-aged guys. All the boats looked fairly expensive. All were some shade of white and were neatly arranged in their little waterfront partitions. Linda had found another marina, about a quarter of a mile from there, that rented smaller boats by the day. The plan was to fish me out of the water later that night once we coordinated my final location. I approached the crowd and watched people pull coolers and backpacks from their cars. I spotted the singer of the band talking to Lance as he was pulling his amp out of his car. Lance saw me approaching and called out, Artist man. I gave him a nod and said, hey. The singer cracked open a beer and said, Dude, that's some really fucked up shit you've been painting recently. Thanks. I said in a sullen tone. I had to pretend to sound depressed and hope someone would notice. Lance reached into his cooler, held out a beer, then said, You want one? I took the can and asked him, How are we getting to this island? Flinny's boat. It's an 18-foot sea ray. Lance leaned back, slugged down some beer, and spotted a boat loaded with equipment passing us on the other side of a rock jetty. He screamed, Flinny! Then held out his beer in a mock salute. Flinny tooted his horn and waved back. He's taking the generator and our PA out there now. How many people do you guys expect tonight? I don't know. A couple hundred. The singer said. Lance dragged his amp over to a pile of drums. Everyone with a boat on this part of the cape is going. A guy in a faded Rasta shirt walked up to us. He was holding a bulging plastic bag with both hands. There was something brown and organic in it. He showed it to Lance and said, Dude, look how many shrooms I got. Lance looked inside the bag and went, Whoa, where'd you get all those? My cousin. You guys want any? All the band members reached into the bag and took their share. The mushroom guy motioned the bag towards me. It looked like maybe three pounds of psychedelic mushrooms. I'd never seen that many in one bunch. I waved him off. Nope, I'm fine, I said. I watched some guy reach for his hat, which had blown into the water. It was floating a few feet from the dock, just out of his reach. One of his buddies pushed him on the ass with his foot, and he fell face first into the water. They all laughed as he hoisted himself back up on the dock, soaking wet. I noticed dour looks on the faces of the older guys on their yachts as they watched some overweight guy in a purple shirt urinate off the dock. Eventually, Flinny came back and I helped load the equipment and a couple of kegs onto his boat. Another eight people jumped on board. The boat was noticeably lower in the water than when Flinny first arrived. As we backed away from the slip, I watched the yacht owners shake their heads. For a moment, I stopped pretending to be glum and considered the real possibility of dying in a boat accident. We pulled out of the marina, everyone chattering away, oblivious to any danger. It was a nice day to be out in the water. The engine purred as we traveled along a sandbar, and the salt spray felt nice on my face as we cut through an occasional wave. We passed a group of seals watching us from the sandbar, maybe 200 feet from the boat. Lance turned to Flinny, who was manning the steering wheel, and asked him, Do you hear about all the shark attacks around here? Yeah, they eat seals, he said as he nodded towards the beach. 
That's why they come here. Lance studied the seals for a moment, then screamed, You guys are all shark food. That got a laugh from everybody. Wonderful, I thought. I had to swim out into this water at night. I wanted to fake my own death, not actually go through with it. The seals were watching us as we passed them. They seemed to be thinking, who are these idiots? Monomoy Island is a long stretch of sand that sticks out of the elbow of Cape Cod. There might be a couple of shrubs poking up here or there, but it was mostly sand dunes and grass. Our attendant spot was pretty isolated, away from the public beaches. Some people were already there, setting up tents, as Flinty grounded his boat a few feet from the shoreline. I grabbed my gym bag and tent, jumped overboard up to my kneecaps in water, and waded towards shore. I dropped my stuff near the generator and surveyed the situation. I couldn't imagine making any new friends here, and really, what was the point? It would be long gone by morning. A short, muscular guy, carrying a keg of beer on his shoulders, walked up to me. He dropped it on the sand, took a deep breath, then looked at me for a second, then said, Budweiser. He turned around and walked back to Flinty's boat. I wasn't too sure what I was supposed to do with that information. Protect the keg from marauding domestic beer drinkers? My cell phone rang. I pulled it from my pocket and saw a caller ID from unknown number on the screen. I answered it and heard Linda say, Do you know how hard it is to find a payphone these days? We had agreed she wouldn't call me from her cell phone. That way, if the authorities look through my cell phone records, there'd be nothing to implicate her. I said, so what do you got? The boat is all set. I had to convince Captain Quint at the bait shop that I could handle it. He kept calling me Sweetie. I'm at the spot right now. Let me get you the GPS coordinates. I sent her my information. I'm going to paddle straight out from here. I heard her fumble with the phone as she entered my location. Okay, I see where you are. There is a lighthouse just to the left of you. Yeah. The plan was to contact me at 11 p.m., and then I'd set the plane into motion. She hung up, and I got comfortable in my spot. I had another eight hours to kill before it was time. I hoped someone would notice me looking forlorn, sitting off by myself on the sand. Boats kept arriving and lining up on the shore. Tents were erected as the crowd steadily grew. I watched the band set up and do a sound check. I had brought my iPad with me, so I had something to read. I was bummed that I would have to leave it there on the beach, but it had a cellular data card in it. I could be tracked if I brought it with me. I checked to see if I still had a signal. One bar. That was good. It would show that my final location was sitting there by the water. I smelled burgers and hot dogs grilling, got up and headed towards the barbecue area. The pudgy guy cooking everything was wearing one of those beer dispenser hats, and he took turns drinking from the tubes that ran from the beer cans to his mouth. He squinted from the smoke that billowed up from the sizzling meat, sucking on his beer pacifier in perfect tranquility. It probably took most people years of meditation to reach such a state of spiritual joy, but this guy seemed to have done it in an afternoon with some beer and meat. Can I have a burger? I'm with the band, I said. He pointed with a spatula to a bag of buns on a blanket. I made myself a burger, took a plastic red cup from a stack, and poured myself a beer from the keg. I took a swig and let the liquid slosh around in my mouth. It was Budweiser, but it still tasted good at the time. I spotted a group of people looking at something in the sand, and I wandered over to see. I pushed my way through the crowd and saw the mushroom guy sprawled out on the ground. His eyes rolled back into his head. 
His arms and legs were slowly forming random patterns in the sand, and his mouth rhythmically opened and closed like a helpless baby chick looking to be fed. Is that guy okay? Someone asked. Someone else knelt down beside him and shook his shoulder. Are you going to be all right? The mushroom guy didn't react. He just continued flopping around in place. A second guy stepped forward and said, Billy, how many mushrooms did you eat? He shook his friend a few times, then raised his voice. How many mushrooms did you eat? There was no answer from Billy. He had been reduced to an insect, helplessly flailing around on its back. His friend shook him harder. Did you eat that entire bag of mushrooms? Billy was so far out of his mind, his consciousness had probably passed Voyager on its way out of the solar system. The crowd moved aside as a guy in a Coast Guard uniform pushed through and knelt beside Billy. Can everyone give us some room? He said. The crowd slowly moved back, and I saw a Coast Guard boat anchored further out. A dinghy was beached on the sand, and another guy in uniform came forward, carrying medical supplies with him. I could hear a helicopter approaching. It landed further down the beach, and its blades blew sand in all directions. Two guys with a gurney jumped out and ran over to Billy. They strapped him in and carried him back to the helicopter. His face had a contorted, terrified look. He probably thought he was being abducted by aliens and was being carried back to the mothership. I refilled my cup with beer, grabbed a hot dog, and went back to my tent. The shouting and loud music continued around me as I watched the sunset. Once it was dark, I prepared my belongings. I had a little waterproof flashlight that I was going to use to signal Linda once I was in the water. For my suicide note, I got a little creative. Since I'm an artist, I figure it would be appropriate to express my final thoughts with an image, so I recreated my middle finger painting on a small square canvas. I debated adding the words, Goodbye Crew World, near the bottom, but I decided I would let the image speak for itself. Now I was sure Gary would understand the significance. At 11 p.m., I got a text from Linda. She was ready. I wondered if I should leave my clothes by my tent or drop them dramatically near the water. From what I could tell, high tide happened about two hours earlier, so I moved my stuff to a spot just above the high water mark. No one was around when I stripped down to the bathing suit I had on under my clothes. I folded everything into a neat pile in the sand, placed my suicide note on top, and weighed it all down with my shoes. I walked into the water up to my thighs. It was colder than I'd expected. A wetsuit would have been nice, but I probably couldn't have carried that and everything else onto the boat without anyone noticing it. I pushed further into the water until I was up to my chest. My teeth were slightly chattering as I bit down on the flashlight. I breaststroked as fast as I could out into deeper water, hoping I could warm myself up with the exertion. I did great for the first hundred yards. The light and noise from the beach faded behind me as I kept swimming forward. After about ten minutes, it looked like I was about a quarter of a mile out. From this distance, the people moving around on the beach looked like they were about an inch tall. I faced the marina and shredded in the cold darkness, waiting for Linda to arrive. There was nothing. My arms and legs started to get numb, and I began to shiver. I pushed my arms harder against the water, trying to keep my core temperature up. Why the hell didn't I hide an inflatable life jacket in my gym bag? What the hell was I thinking? It was too late now. I spun around and scanned for anything that looked like a boat. Nothing. What were they saying about those sharks? How the hell would a shark know I'm not a seal, flailing around here out in the water by myself? 
Do I want to get eaten by a shark just to get on my contract? My plan wasn't looking so good. I should have just hired a lawyer and gone after Gary. I wondered if I should swim back in and call the whole thing off. I looked towards the marina again. Still nothing. I scanned the horizon behind me and spotted a little red light heading into shore. Did Linda go past me in the dark? I took the flashlight out of my mouth and fumbled to turn it on. It didn't work. Shit. The stupid thing was dead. I saw the vague outline of a boat in the distance as it got closer. I was about to yell out, Linda, when I heard a man's voice go, (laughs) and a woman's voice say, Hey! (laughs) And then laughter. Someone else was heading for the beach, and they were coming straight at my head. If they saw me, they'd want to help me out of the water. I frantically swam further out, away from the beach. I managed to put a good 50 yards between me and the boat before I stopped. I sank into the water up to my nose and watched it pass. They hadn't seen me. Why would anyone be this far out in shark-infested water in the middle of the night anyway? Where the hell was Linda? I scanned the horizon towards the marina again and spotted a tiny moving dot of green light. Navigation lights show different colors depending where you are in relationship to the oncoming boat. Green meant it was headed towards me. I really needed to get out of the water at that point. I was ready to be rescued by anyone. I wanted to wave my arms above my head, but my whole body had gone numb and I could barely lift my limbs out of the water. The plan was for Linda to find me by flashlight signal, but I had let go of the useless thing. I tried shouting, but I could barely croak out, Linda. The sound of the boat's motor grew louder as it approached. I could tell it would miss me by a hundred feet or so if I didn't get its attention. I tried yelling, hey, but that only came out as a muffled yelp. Then I remembered something. When I was a kid, my best friend and I used to have competitions on who could produce the loudest whistle using only our fingers. I stuck my fingertips into my mouth, folded my tongue over them, and blew a sharp note. The boat's motor stopped. Linda's voice came from the boat. Gavin? Oh, thank God. Over here. Over here. I let out between chattering teeth. She turned on a flashlight and scanned the surface of the water until she blinded me with the light. Why didn't you signal me? I paddled towards her. I tried to answer, but I couldn't say anything until I reached the boat and grabbed onto it. The light wasn't working, I said. Linda latched onto me. Jesus, you're freezing. She tugged at my arms, but I couldn't move. I can't pull you all the way in. You're going to have to help me. That was the final obstacle. I just had to get my frozen carcass into the boat. I kicked as best I could and heaved my chest over the side. Linda grabbed the back of my swimsuit and hauled me in the rest of the way. I had made it. I rolled over and looked up at the stars overhead. I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. Is this considered suffering for your art? Linda covered my body with a beach towel and started the engine. Where were you? I whispered as I shivered. Linda gunned the engine. Just as I texted you, the engine wouldn't start. I groaned. I think it was flooded. I got it going again after I let it sit for a while. I laid there on the bottom of that boat as it accelerated, gradually warming up. I felt happy that I'd made it, happy that I'd be starting a new life. 
By the time we got back to the marina, I was able to sit up and get my bearings. The shoreline was dark, except for the lights around the docks. She drove the boat about 100 yards to the left of the marina. The boat slightly scraped some rocks as it stopped on the shoreline. There's a parking lot straight ahead. My car is there. Be careful. If someone's at the marina, they'll see you. I'm going to return the boat to the rental slip. I was supposed to have brought it back before dark. Thanks, hon, I said. I stumbled over the edge of the boat and headed towards the parking lot. I heard the boat's motor start up as it pulled away from shore. I walked through some reeds and climbed up an embankment. I found her car attached to a U-Haul trailer, opened the door, and collapsed into the passenger seat. A few minutes later, Linda emerged from the darkness, got in, and started the engine. She turned to me and said, You know I love you. I leaned back against the seat and said, Obviously. Everything she owned had been loaded into the trailer. Everything of mine had been left at my apartment. I no longer cared about that crap. We drove for 18 hours straight, stopping only for gas and food. When we got to St. Augustine, we spent a night at her mother's place before driving another seven hours down the length of Florida. The only detour we took was to get some of that key lime pie. As we pulled into Linda's family cottage at Big Pine Key, I thought, nobody will ever think to look for me here.